Hi, and welcome to episode 175 of No Crying in Baseball, the It's Okay, Joe, We Drink Too episode. My name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. Hey there, Potty Mouth here, dying to find out which Joe we're talking about. There are so many potential Joes. We're talking about Joe Buck, who usually I pick on, but I don't know if you saw any of this kerfuffle. But Joe Buck referred to the fact that every once in a while, he's got a giant ballpark-sized beer with him or a small, very classy cocktail, if he's with Troy Aikman, with him when he's calling a game. And his whole point was, it just reminds me to relax. I'm not there to chug it. I may take a sip here and there. I'm not like boozing it up during, but people blew it all out of proportion. And I just want to say that... This is one thing I do have in common with 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 Joe Buck. I mean, <laughs> potty mouth and I have taught you nothing. You know, the one thing is it's okay to have a beer when you talk about sports because it really makes it go go down even more fun. Yeah, I think so. And I've I've been moderating better than I used to in the early days when I was doing te- tequila shots with the beer before the show. Now I'm just pretty much a beer during the show, hanging out. I, I will say I did bring in a backup beer with me right away because sometimes I have to stop. You know, we stop recording so I can go get a beer. So I may have gone the other way. It's like, okay, okay. No, I, I have it right here <laughs> just in case. And it's cold enough in my home studio that it's going to stay just fine, not refrigerated, which is a shame. You know, I'm thinking that it's part of the COVID thing, too, because when we used to hang out to prepare together, we would have a beer in the prep and then a beer at the show. And now I'm pretty much just grabbing a beer for the show. So, hmm. Yeah, it's still a two beer operation. It's just that now they have yeah. to happen while we're talking, while we're recording. Yeah, all right. And I'll CIB, stop a two beer operation. I'm thinking that Joe Buck drinks less than we do when he talks about sports. That's <laughs> it's probable. That is probable. All right, I can do a happy congrats, a happy shout out. I wanted to say congratulations to my former Rockies boyfriend, David Dahl, and his wife. On the birth of baby Parker, they had a little baby girl, but the coolest part of it is their their dog has his own Instagram, Rocky, and he wins the internet because he's a baby dog. Like he's good at cuddling with a newborn baby. He's just too cute. So go follow Rocky, but congrats to David and Jacqueline as well. Very nice. I'm I'm all about the dogs this week, so I'm going to have to go Mm. find that. On today's show. Pitchers and catchers reported, so we're back to our COVID intake information. It's a long report this time. There's so much to talk about. How about that kid in Florida? Our poster boy makes a big splash this week. Brett Frickengardner won't go away. We've got, you know what? We decided, when I decided, Patty doesn't know this yet, that the segment where we report on bad things happening is now just the police blotter segment. That's (laughs) great. We've got boyfriends from Cleveland and the Cubs, and as always, international ball. So, all right. COVID. We talked last week about what the new protocols are. And they have begun because pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training and everyone else is going to report very soon. So, so far, there have been more than 4,300 COVID tests administered to players and staff. Nine players tested positive and four staff. That's really small. So this is good. And zero in the monitoring samples. The monitoring samples are the ones they do every two days. So this was like, The first one coming in, they had the positives and then none since. So that's good. For a little perspective, as we talk about this each week, last year's totals, there were 91 positive tests out of almost 173,000 tests. Last year, 57 of them were players. 21 of the 30 teams had somebody test positive, whether it's a player or a staff person. One article I read referred to the possibility of cardiology tests for those players who had covid 
in the past. I could not find anything else about it anywhere. I couldn't find anything that was very specific about it. But remember, we had players who didn't recover very well. And we know there's a long-term effect about how your heart functions. So I'm interested and actually very happy to hear that Major League Baseball may be following up on that, not just letting it go. Go, You've had COVID, you're done. Yeah, well, Eduardo Rodriguez, I remember last year, was having the the heart condition, and he is on the lineup, so I'm hoping he's all right, but I think that the test would be good for everybody involved. I think so, too. So um, Sean Bieber of the Cleveland team is back in camp after quarantine. A few days ago, the big news was he had tested positive as part of this intake, and so he was still under quarantine, but he had, I think, no or very few symptoms, and apparently... He has passed whatever needed to be passed to to get to training. So he is back in, which is good news for Cleveland. Good news, too, for fans in the stands. Some teams are selling tickets for spring training games, and they're very specific about selling them in pods. And you can choose the size of the pod between one and six, but you've got to know everybody. There's no like breaking up pods and reselling tickets, and those pods will be separated and all of that. Dr. Fauci was... Um, asked a couple of times, because as we know, he's a big baseball fan, about what he sees as the possibilities for fans in the stands this year. And well, number one, if major league teams want to have fans, they have to submit their plan that has been approved by the local health officials and submit it to the league for approval. Um, Like so far, the Rays have submitted a plan hoping for selling 7,000 tickets for opening day. I don't know if the Rays, well, I guess this year they'll start selling more tickets. I guess they were pretty good last year, right? <laughs> yeah, that- yeah. It, it was the Marlins, though, who did something similar, and there were lots of jokes on that one. Yeah, yeah. So um, Dr. Fauci said that once 75 to 80% of the population is vaccinated, which hopefully will be the case by midsummer, and still using masks and other protocols to be careful. And if the infection rates are going down, he can actually see full stadiums happening by the end of the summer. Wow. So I like know. World Series when it counts to have a full stadium, that would be amazing. When it counts. Yeah. So, but, so everybody, please do what you got to do so we can go to see some baseball games. This is on you, everybody. All right. Wear your mask, get your, get your vaccine when it's your turn and stay home, stay home, stay away from people for now. Okay. Uh, the Blue Jays, who were homeless for a while last year and ended up playing their home games in Buffalo, the, um, the Canadian border is still closed, so the teams can't go back and forth to play in Toronto. So the Blue Jays are actually going to start their first two home stands in their spring training facility in Florida because Buffalo is going to be pretty damn cold, right, yes. in April. Last year, when they had to pick a new place for their home games, it was already summer, right? So that didn't matter. But yeah. now they're going to start in Florida. They'll probably move to Buffalo when it gets too humid in Florida um, in May. And they're hoping, they're hoping to get back to the Rogers Center before the season is out. So that's sort of like the Blue Jays migrating north as it gets warmer, right? That's that kind of I track. see what you did there. That's very good. You should be a school teacher. <laughs> uh, so last year, 18 players opted out of the season. Um, one of those was Ian Desmond. Ian Desmond is the only player so far to opt out a second time. That offer is still on the table for any player who doesn't want to play this year. And he said, huh. you know what? I would rather be with my family than, than look at these sort of, you know, this not yet decided, still kind of risky situation. The other players who opted out previously and are playing now said they feel much more confident this season because as we had noted last week, the protocols are much clearer. We 
as a people, as a science, yeah. everybody knows so much more about how to be careful and how to emphasize prevention, right? And, you know, vaccines still not really available to baseball players because they're, they're in gen pop right now, you know, they're young and healthy. So it's not about that, but it's about, we're clear on everything else. We know what protocols work. So let's go ahead and do it. So everybody else is coming back so far. Ian Desmond's the only one who said he's not. And I don't blame them. You know, everybody's going to make the decision for what's good, good for them. But I also hope that everybody who's coming back from an opt-out year is welcomed in with open arms and no criticism because, you know, we're all in it together at this point. I want to give a little bit of a shout out to a young player, a college freshman, college freshman, Caleb Pendleton, who yesterday uh, debuted for Florida Atlantic University, and his first two at-bats, which both happened in the same inning, it was that kind of game, in the second inning, he hit a grand slam. Two at-bats, two grand slams, the same inning. You're going to think, yeah, this is quite a blowout. Well, it wasn't completely one-sided. The final score was 20 to 15. They were playing against Central Florida. But yeah, the first, you know, the first game of the season, everybody's getting a little bit of their uh, growing pains out there. But what a way to make your mark on playing in college. Has anyone ever done this before? Hmm, let me think. Well, <laughs> I don't know about college records, but of course, you know, the big comparison that everybody uh, jumped to was Fernando Tatis Sr., who got two grand slams in an inning when he was playing. And I remember when I picked Fernando Tatis Jr. for my baseball boyfriend before he debuted, I said, wow, he has pretty big shoes to fill. Is he going to be able to do it? Well, I think he's done it. And he probably ordered an extra size up of shoes at this point. Because as everybody knows, he just signed for a shitload of money for plenty of time. And the best thing about that is with him signing for 14 years, the majority of those years are my retirement years. So I have a better opportunity of having the time to go to more baseball games and maybe to get my ass out to San Diego finally. So I'm very happy about the 14-year lock-in part of that deal. Excellent. You planned that very, very well, except yeah. for that picking Tatis Jr. so early so you couldn't keep him as your forever boyfriend. That's a that's Absolutely. a shame right there. Hey, I, just yeah. for one second, I want to go back to our pal Caleb and just to note that we are now talking about kids making history who are younger than our kids. Oh, wow. Right. I know that that really has happened so it's much <laughs> before. And I know mine just turned 20. Like, oh, boy. All right. Yeah, and our kids are sophomores and, and he's a freshman. That's so right. yeah, this is That's like right. they're 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 adults. They are adults. So Tatis Jr. sure is an adult because he's got, well, I hope so, because he's got a lot of money to deal with. It was 14 yeah. years, as Potty Mouse said, for $340 million. Okay. We have talked about Tatis Jr. being our podcast poster boy because he embodies the baseball boyfriend to us, right? He's so good at his job. He loves what he does so much. He's got that extra special thing going. And he looks good on a poster. Mo most importantly of that equation, he looks good on a poster. He checks off the grooming category, yeah. really all the categories, right? So there was yeah. this piece in the Washington Post covering this, and the writer pointed out that the Padres are sort of naming Tatis Jr. as the poster boy for the league. With that kind of splashy contract this young, they're saying, hey, this is the guy. This is the guy that who we want everyone to emulate. We want people to know. You can't not notice them, right? But this is our ideal. 
right now, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool because he's the one who breaks the unwritten rules. He is the one who, you know, is just going to play his hardest no matter what anybody tells him to do. He's going to have a good time while he does it. He's going to dance. He's going to look good with the great hair, the whole thing. And so that's kind of cool that he's sort of, you know, been christened like this. This is the third biggest contract behind Mike Trout and Pookie, actually. With Manny Machado, the Padres now have the most expensive left side in history, right? It's a lot of money on that side of the infield. So Machado's contract was $300 million and that, and adding the $340 million for Tatis, that makes the Padres the first franchise in, in the four major sport leagues to ever give two contracts worth $300 million or more. And yesterday or the day before was the two-year anniversary of Machado's contract. So he still has eight years left. Like that's eight years of that expensive infield. Yeah. And so reading up on the math part of this is really kind of fascinating. So his contract is backloaded for the last 10 years. So not so much for the first four years, but the big money comes in when he would have been on the free agency market. So mm-hmm. basically they've committed to 300, the same thing they gave Machado, right? right? There, so like the $300 million when you become a free agent, that's what he's got, but he's also you know locked in from here to there. There have been a lot of comparisons to like, first was like, oh, you know, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. must be really pissed at his manager because he only got a hundred million dollars for eight years. So he's getting like 12 point something million dollars a year instead of 16 point million dollars a year, which is what Tatis is getting. But the, the comparison that I've been seeing the most is with your forever boyfriend, Juan Soto. Mm-hmm. And some evaluations are like, oh, yeah, that means the Nats need to do this right now because Soto's price just went up. And others are saying, you know what? Soto's worth more because when you play out Tatis's contract over years, Soto might be worth more per year sooner. So that might. So it's really fascinating to watch people talk about this. But it, it is making the Nats take notice. You know that for sure. I really hope the Nats are win- willing to spend some bucks on this, though, because if they fuck that up, I'm going to be so upset. It is true. Now, I've read something that was quite interesting, and it makes me hate the minor leagues even more. Oh, there great. is a company called Big League Advance, which just sounds like, you know, what is it, like payday check cashing to me? Big <laughs> League Advance will give minor league players cash up front against a promise of a percentage of future earnings. Oh, Tatis Jr. at 18 years old did some deal, the numbers are not shared, with big league advance. So an example of how this might work is um, BLA, big league advance, might give a player $50,000 for every 1% of future earnings. And what Tatis wanted that money for as an 18-year-old minor league player was a personal trainer, better food, and a better place to live. He also wanted to upgrade the practice field at home in the Dominican Republic. So, you know, he wasn't getting paid enough to be comfortable, apparently. I don't know. I don't know why he made this decision, but I it's gross in a lot of places, right? It's sad that he felt like he needed to do this. I don't like the, the big league advance just sounds predatory to me. But right. some of these guys, apparently, if you don't ever get called up, you don't ever pay it back. So I could see where guys who are more on the bubble might find this more attractive because it's you know a freebie because then you end up with guys like Tatis Jr. who have to pay millions of dollars back to big league advance. 
Yeah, I really hope that they're not getting a hugely disproportionate amount of his money because that would just be super shitty. And like you're saying, there are different levels of of crappiness here. The first being the minor leagues should be giving players enough that they can eat good food. Like that's just so messed up, you know, yeah. and, and live comfortably so that they can actually, their bodies can relax and recuperate after their workouts. So screwed up. What even, a messed if up it, even if it's 1%, that's $34 million. That's crazy. Yeah. No, wait, that's 10%. Wait, hold on. Right, you're the math. I'm not, math is bad. Yeah, it's I'm, millions of dollars, no matter what. Okay. I was going to say, I'm never going to question you on math. All right. Well, there there are some other signings this week. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on because we're we're one week away. That's pretty exciting. One yeah, week maybe. away from spring training games. But there was one quick point that I was just going to mention briefly, which is, oh, I saw Brett Gardner went back to the Yankees. Fuck him. Fuck the Yankees. And now I'm thinking this is part of, you know, the potty mouth process of opening myself up and, and like accepting that the Yankees aren't all that bad and the Yankees players aren't all that bad. And every team has some good in them. Look at me. So, I mean, CC Sabathia, I think was the first process of that because I couldn't stand him, you know, mostly because he was good, but also just, he didn't look like he should be good and he's still doing really well. And Brett Gardner was sort of another really easy Yankees target because he's got that sort of, I don't know, Marines kind of look about him and the whole bashing on the top of the dugout. He just didn't seem like a nice guy. Well, it turns out he's a nice guy. No, he's not a nice guy. He may be a generous well, guy. Doesn't make him a nice guy. Go ahead. Okay. There we go. There we go. All right. So there's there's a difference. So I can still hate him. I just think that um I, I wanted to recognize him for some nice things that he's done over the time. So the the bottom line is that he signed for another year and it was because he wanted to play in front of fans and he had a crappy year last year. It's his 14th year this year. So yeah, he could have retired before going back in. He was not picked up uh, for his $10 million option. So at that point, he could have looked elsewhere, but he wanted to stay a Yankee. And so basically what the Yankees did was spend all their money make sure that everything was in place, see how much they had left over to him. And as sort of a last minute thing, they gave him $4 million for the year. But he actually had gotten the Heart and Hustle Award for the Yankees five times, which shows something about positive character. I mean, that's the embodying the spirit of baseball kind of thing. And even beyond that, being the nominee for the Roberto Clemente Award twice. And he's done the kind of generous stuff that we've talked about not going beyond just throwing money at something and actually going in and visiting kids in children's hospitals. And his wife cooked for the Ronald McDonald house. And he's done a lot of generous things that he didn't have to do. So I just want to say that, I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of inappropriate behavior on his part and stuff that I cannot stand him for as player attitude and as a Yankee, but I want to try to open up a little bit and just recognize that every time we're harsh on somebody, maybe there is a silver lining somewhere. You are a better human than I am. I <laughs> see him as the epitome of the champion of the unwritten rule, which There's that makes right. me angry. And yeah, the, the pounding, the, the dugout, the he's, he's the guy that the people, that the, the, the baseball fans I don't enjoy hanging with right. seem to hold up as their ideal. Right. So right. That's, and that's, that's definitely, 
that's definitely the problem that I've had with him all along. But just seeing that he actually visits kids in hospitals too, and he's reaching out to Yankees fans that way. And he did a lot of um, like bringing kids into Yankee Stadium for tours kind of thing. So there, there, I don't know. Yeah. There he is. He bought and 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 actually something up your alley. He bought a therapy dog and named it after himself and gave it to one of I don't remember which hospital or naming the dog okay. after himself yeah. is not up my alley in any <laughs> no, way, no, shape, no. or form. No, <laughs> no, that puts it in the other category that I was saying. Why I don't feel like I need to apologize to him. Mm-hmm. The important thing for me is that Clint Frazier, my boyfriend is on paper as being the starter, not Brett Gardner. So absolutely. And he has a way better look and a way better attitude. So I'm, I'm totally down with that. Hey, speaking of long hair, let's go into the police blotter segment. <laughs> Johnny Damon. <laughs> Yankees too. Right. Jan- Johnny Damon, once of the long flowing locks and then of the Yankees cut. Um, just uh, Friday, I believe, was yeah. pulled over in Florida for DUI with two times the legal limit of alcohol in his blood, which I believe puts him in line to be the general manager of the White Sox. <laughs> That's great. That's great. He also resisted arrest, which I want to know like what that came down to. But that was one of his charges as well. Did, I think it's super interesting that he grew his hair back out, though. Did, did he try the do you know who I am thing? I mean, that works so well for Larusa. Oh, you know, I'm wondering if that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't but, know. So staying in New York for a second, um, the Mets fired a second coach. They they fired their hitting coordinator, Ryan Ellis, sort of quietly, as it turns out. There was not a splash about this, but for the same thing that, that Jared Porter was, was fired for generally. Three women have complained about his treatment of them, his comments to them, his actions towards them since 2018. And apparently there was some investigation then. Apparently, at the same time, they started investigating Mickey Calloway, and that didn't go anywhere at the time. But some new information came up, which no one is saying what it actually is, and they fired him. And at the time, they had said, hey, there's no there's no evidence you'd need more people to come forward. It's like, and, you oh, know, God. there we are. So now we're at the point where, you know, the floodgates are open. People are going to start coming forward. But this one apparently has been simmering for a while and finally came to its conclusion. But that's pretty shitty about the Mets that they're like three for three on this, that all three guys busted at this point have Mets connections. Yeah. So yeah. Something's got to change in there. Right. Well, hey, let's go back to the Yankees. Oh, my God. Okay. We are so freaking New York centric right now. So Zach Britton, former Oriole pitcher, now with the Yankees, was asked about how he felt about Domingo Herman coming back to the Yankees after serving his 81 game domestic violence suspension. And he wasn't happy about it. He said, you know, I, you can't pick your teammates. I, what he did wasn't right. You know, he was very clear about that. He was asked directly and he answered directly about it. There's more information than we were aware of at the time when we reported on what Domingo Herman actually did. If you remember, the incident started at, an, at a charity event hosted by C.C. Sabathia where he slapped mm-hmm. his girlfriend in at the event. Then right. when they went home, he continued to be abusive towards her so much that she was frightened and hid in the closet and called the wife of another player from in oh, the closet. Wow. And they didn't name who that is, but... That, but the person that she called and the player this that you know the the husband came and collected her so other yankee players are in fact aware specifically of what happened which is why i think he they were able to proceed with that kind of that you know that was the largest 
suspension ever given for domestic violence, and especially because his girlfriend did not, in fact, press any charges. Yeah, well, and there were witnesses at the event. Like, people saw him slap her. That's just disgusting that he had, you know, that much confidence in his ability to do something like that. Right, and apparently what he did at home was worse, too. So that's, yeah, so just built, built. So so Zach Britton was getting some crap online about it. And someone said, Mm. you don't know what happened. You know, he served his time. And his response was, ha, you think I don't know the circumstances? Get a clue, bud. So the Yankees players know what happened because Yankees players were involved. So that's kind of fascinating. So Aaron Boone apparently is sort of watching the situation right now. Well, you know who talked to him today was Aroldis Chapman, which (laughs) is just, you know, levels of crap that they're both on the Yankees squad. So another person who got off for a club stays small, right? Isn't that gross? But like, you know, that that's the guy who's pulling him over to give advice is sort of like, all right, what kind of advice are you getting at this point? And then the, the last thing I saw was that the advice entailed that he should speak to his teammates before speaking to the media, which is fine. But is that like, let me help you how to get through this and, you know, keep your, you know, keep the crowd focused on your baseball and get this just behind you and move on? Or is it, this is how we both need to be better people, but I haven't seen evidence of number two. So I'm thinking number one just sucks. (laughs) I think there's a number two all over this. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely right. It's just gross. It is gross. And I want to say one more nice thing about Zach Britton. Apparently, he is quite a a champion around this. He's taking the right side of the arguments in a lot of ways. Britt Garoli of The the Athletic um, had written a story about an incident that happened when uh, she was covering the O's back in 2012, where there was an incident with a player and her, Mm -hmm. and and Zach Britton was on the O's then. And so he publicly apologized to her and said, I am so sorry this happened to you. It shouldn't happen to anyone. But as a member of that team, I... You know, I, I I really apologize for anything that happened. Wow. So like he's he's taking no crap from anybody. And so if you know, back to the we have stupid rules for baseball boyfriends because Zach Britton has like skyrocketed to the top of my list of pitchers that I appreciate. There are a lot of good pitchers out there. Too bad that we don't get to pick them. What we do is we pick position players, and we're going to do that in just a moment. We pick them in the offseason, one per team per person, because they're cool and they are not assholes. So like that's the first screen is no assholes allowed. And then at the end, we're going to pick a squad of pitchers. But I feel like that too. Like Lately, I've been following Marcus Stroman a lot online. He's yeah, and that's a whole nother discussion, actually. The Mets pitching and Trevor Bauer. If anybody is not aware of what's going on, just look any of them up on Twitter, and it's rather amusing. Not worth summarizing, but it's definitely amusing. So Marcus Stroman's a good guy. Wish I could pick him. But right now, we're going to be picking guys from Cleveland and from the Cubs. And we're getting toward the end of our picks. We've only got, like, what, four weeks left, I think? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so we worked from... We worked from the bottom up, like the the teams with the worst record up. So we're starting to get to the teams that did really well in 2020, uh, including Cleveland. And I am picking Cesar Hernandez. So this is the the other conundrum that we're in at this point. This is our fourth season of picking guys, and we can't pick somebody we picked before except for one holdover from year to year. And some clubs have been a challenge because of that. And both Cleveland and the Cubs were a huge challenge because of that. The other thing that's a challenge is 
because at the end of this, we're making our fantasy team. So we need a player at every position. And at this point, I have not picked a second base person who is definitely going to be on the opening day roster. <laughs> so I, I started to panic and I looked carefully for both and the Cubs were out. So I'm going with Cesar Hernandez, not because he's my perfect baseball boyfriend, but he is going to be on second base, which I need. He seems like a good guy. He's 30 years old. He also, I, I do always look for something that's going to connect me to them. And he played for the Cardinales de Lara, which is the Venezuelan team that I've been following for the past few years. So I feel pretty good about that. And also, I think he needs my help. So that will be that will be my parting phrase about him. But he was drafted in 2006 with the Phillies as an international free agent at age 16, which is actually, I guess that's my theme for today, draft him young internationally, and debuted in 2013 and had a little bit of struggle in the beginning. And then 2016 was really his breakout year. And a lot of that was because Chase Utley, I think, was having some injury issues. So he got more playing time. And he ended leading the league in bunt hits that that year, which I think is fabulous. I know I, I a love lot of that. My, yeah, I love small ball. I do too. I do too. The folks on the CPBL chat are like diss the bunt, and I feel like if it's a good, if somebody's good at bunting, that's a great skill. Like, yeah, do it, work it, do the small ball. So I am good at him leading bunts, not only in 2016, but also in he tied for the lead in 2018. Another cool thing that he did was 2017, he, he's lead off. He got a lead off home run on opening day. And then last August, he was the first Cleveland player to hit lead off home runs in back to back games. So he's got a little bit of power. I, I'm good with that. And the lead off guy, I think, is kind of a sexy thing. Uh, he's also versatile. I like that in a guy. With the Phillies, he played second, third, shortstop, and center field. And the other thing that I like about him, hey, I think this is, you know, he's a good pick. We're doing well here. He got the Heart and Hustle Award, which Yay. we know is the guy, and we were talking about that with Brett Gardner, but the guy who has the passion for the game and embodies the values, spirits, and traditions of baseball. So always a good sign for the baseball boyfriends to be a little heart and hustle. The Phillies let him go after 2019, and he became a free agent, picked up by Cleveland for just a year, trying him out for 2020, but he did it. He he got gold glove for the first time in his career. His average, I do know this was for 2020, was 283, and he has a 277 lifetime average. So they re-signed him for 21 with a club option for 22. So I know he's this year, there this year. I hope he's healthy. He'll be on second base. He can be on my fantasy team. He could be the reason why the Cardinales de Lara lost the finals this year because they uh -oh. were playing against the Caribes de Anzuategui, and it was a seven-game you know, seven series. They were tanking it. They lost the first three, but after that is when he signed, when the, the contract went through with Cleveland. And so he left. He had to go. It was part of the deal. So he could not play that game four. And he was really holding things together. He had a 300 average and the rest of the team was like 210 and down. So because he missed game four, I don't know if he could have carried him the whole time. 
but it did not work. But he had been on the Cardinales three times at various points this past year, 2017, and then in 14. And another like sweet thing about him is he's from Stupid Face. We talked about Stupid oh, Face. Oh, Stupid a Face. Long time yeah. Ago. <laughs> he's from Carabobo, Venezuela, which means Stupid Face. At least I think it does. He's, it's, I couldn't find out anything about personal life besides him being married and have either one or two kids, depending on which article you read, because all his social media is closed, like, like locked invite only. I applied. I did not qualify. This is why I think he needs me, why this is an important connection here. After all this time, been playing since 2006, he is still very shy to speak English. He does all of his interviews in Spanish. Even though he says he understands English, he doesn't want to speak it. And in one of the articles that I read in Spanish about his English said that he has an English that has been uh, improving in a gradual form. So I think that's it. Um, also, you know, one thing that came to light today was there was a really shitty statement by the president of the Mariners about not wanting to pay a translator for one of the players. Yeah, it's pretty oh, crappy. No. I'll, I'll throw that in later. But a lot of the side talk from that is that these guys are talking to the media. And if you're going to have a fluency, the level of being quoted in the media, you're going to want a translator. I mean, I've been speaking Spanish for years and years, but if I knew it was going to be quoted, I would want a translator. So the whole idea of like wanting a translator and the whole idea of here for poor Cesar, like not wanting to speak in English to the press, especially if he's a shy guy, I don't blame him for that. But I'm here to tell him that I've been an English teacher for 25 years, that I am here for you, Cesar Hernandez, if you if you shall call. Again, you with the generosity. You're so impressive. Mm -hmm. You are a very giving human potty mouth. And I am I am honored to be a friend. Why, thank you. Absolutely. I am so pleased to get what I'm going to call my Omar Vizquel do-over. That's great. I was hoping you'd pick this guy. Yeah. Longtime listeners know that Omar Vizquel was my very first baseball boyfriend. I love him dearly. And then recently there have been domestic abuse um, allegations and I he can't be my boyfriend anymore because we have a zero tolerance policy for good reason. So I need to... I need to do something to to help this. So I started looking at Ahmed Rosario coming over from the Mets in the trade for Francisco Lindor and Cookie Carrasco. And everything I read about, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah he's going to be great. And then wait a minute, this other guy that also came over, Andres Jimenez, everyone saying is better than he is. Let me look at him. And sure enough, I sort of fell in love with Andres Jimenez. Now, like, like you were saying about um, Cesar Hernandez, there's not a lot about his childhood or personal life or any of that. So um, you're not going to get any of that from me. Sorry, I looked. I looked a long time. But here's what I do know. So he's a shortstop. He's 22, right? He's from, I'm going to say it, then you're going to correct me, Barquisimeto, Venezuela. Yep, got it. Wow. Woo! That's Woo! awesome. Well, I yeah. learned from you, my friend. The cool thing about this town is Cookie Carrasco's hometown, same place, right? And and um, Andre said it's an honor to be from the same place as Cookie Carrasco. And so now he's going to Cleveland as Cookie has been traded to the Mets. He was introduced, this is the only thing I know, he was introduced to the game by his mom and grandmother. There's no information about that. I want to know so much more. I have so many questions, right? 
So growing up, Omar Vizquel and Carlos Gonzalez were among his idols, right? He's a shortstop, right? How can you not love like the greatest shortstop to ever come from Venezuela? And he said, my goal was to be like them one day. And then he said, and here we are, because now he's at Cleveland. So Andres Jimenez was signed as an international free agent in 2015, I believe also was a 16-year-old. That seems to be a theme for our Venezuelan uh, infielders right now. He signed for $1.2 million, and he learned English at the Mets Academy. So the Mets had their at a program, right? Interestingly, some of the, the articles I read, you know, he's, he speaks English pretty well now, it appears, and seems to have an interpreter with him, but in a couple of cases, the article has said he didn't wait for them and spoke English over them because he was impatient. He was too excited to answer. That's so, so yeah, yeah. So he seems really motivated, which is kind of cool to, um, to speak English. Um, he played in the 2018 Futures game. He debuted in July 2020, this past shortened season, after having not played over double A, right? So again, Ahmed Rosario has been playing shortstop. And here comes Andres Jimenez, only a few years younger. Like Rosario is 25 and he was like the next greatest thing that was coming. And now it looks like he has sort of lost a few steps. As that shortened season went on, Jimenez beat out Rosario as the sharding shortstop. Like he started as shortstop for like for all of September. So like he kind of finished the season that way. And there's a lot of press in the uh, in New York City about how much we love him and he's our shortstop of the future. And well, sorry, it looks like Francisco Lindor is your shortstop of the future. And I guess you're going to be okay <laughs> yeah. with that. But I'm kind of feeling good about Andres Jimenez. His first home run was against the Orioles. And he said it was easy to get the ball back without anybody in the stands. <laughs> and that he wished he, funny. he wished he could give it to his great grandmother, but she's in heaven now, but we'll keep it in the family, Aww. which was so, so very sweet. So it turns out he was kind of the headliner coming from the Mets in this trade for Lindor and Cookie. I, I thought it was, you know, Rosario, but no, no, it's Andres Jimenez. He was the Mets 2020 Rookie of the Year, and he actually got one vote for National League Rookie of the Year. His coaches and the people who scouted him all talk about his baseball IQ. He's really smart about baseball. He's really curious about baseball and how things work, about the strategy, how to make small changes to make your play better. So they see him as a long-term player, whereas Rosario is a little bit more flash in the panty, it seems like. Um, can I say panty? That's a little weird. <laughs> An example of that, of his like his IQ and his ability to make adjustments, is when they played the Nationals. Um, Scherzer struck him out embarrassingly badly his first at-bat against Max. And then he figured out what he did. He took some coaching. The second time he came up, he had a triple off of Max Scherzer. That's crazy. Right? Wow, that's a really good sign. Yeah. So he's known for his speed. He's going to be a really good base stealer. His excellent defense. He won two gold gloves in the minors. And everyone's talking about him being a future gold glove winner, which, as you know, defense is sexy. That makes me really happy. But even his body type is very much like Omar. And his flashy defense is very much like Omar. I'm hoping that the similarities end with his play to being like Omar. I hope he's my Omar of the future. And he gets bonus points um, as probably also from Clevelanders in general because he's a LeBron James fan. Oh, sweet. Yeah, that, that is definitely a good thing. So does he He officially has the starting shortstop? Because I saw it like depending on where I looked was different. 
Yeah, there's a lot of talk about him starting in um, in Triple A. You know, to work on his bat, i.e., uh, squash his service time a little bit. But he may start. They 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 see him starting soon, if not immediately. Yeah, I hope so because I I think they have. Yeah, I think they'll do they'll do better with a little bit of youth and excitement and because that's what they gave away up there. Yeah, they, they traded that away. They need something. Like, they, he's not never going to be as flashy as Lindor, but if he's got slick defense and a solid bat, and he seems to have this like, very friendly, good, open, I love baseball personality, not a bad substitute. Not a bad yeah. substitute. You know, it's interesting that we're doing the Cubs and and Cleveland together because Tell they're me. both sort of in that similar situation of potentially entering a really uh, stressful unknown kind of year after some time of greatness and that they both had done as well last year to get to this point. So when I started looking at the Cubs, I realized we were super screwed because I looked at the whole lineup and we had either chosen chosen them as Cubs or chosen them elsewhere and they have come in. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we had very limited opportunities. So I went to the, the biggest Cubs fan I know, which is infield fly girl, and said, please help me. What do I do? So she gave me a couple of pieces of advice. One I handed over to you because I looked at it and said, oh, I, I, I really want to do this, but I have to give this to Patty because that's the right thing to do. And she gave me as another option this young catcher who I am hoping makes it in. So this is definitely a little bit of a gamble, and I really do need a backup catcher. I'm going with Miguel Amaya, 21 years old, a baby. And at this point, he's behind my former Cubs boyfriend, which is um, Wilson Contreras, who I I think I had last year. And then because of the whole Darvish deal, they got rid of uh, Victor Caterini. And so they they picked up Austin fucking Romine, who I last talked about with Joe (laughs) Kelly decking him. So I knew I couldn't pick him <laughs> at all. Sorry. And then and then so that the options were not were not out there. So Miguel Amaya sounds fun. And I'm really hoping that he comes up. Maybe Romine won't produce and they'll want to pull in another catcher. Uh, Amaya started playing at age four. And he first represented his province. So he's from Panama. I didn't write this in the beginning, and I'm hoping that, yeah, he's from Panama. He first represented his province, which is Los Santos, in national competitions at age nine. So he's been playing baseball at a high level for a very long time. And over the years in his youth national baseball, he earned a shit ton of awards. He was the batting champ one year. He was the best catcher one year. His last year as a youth, which was right before being another 16-year-old's being signed, um, he was MVP, and he even hit for the cycle as a youth in the national baseball tournaments. So he signed in 2000, the 2015-16 year at age 16, for $1.25 million as a 16-year-old from Panama, which is just unbelievable. And it was actually the record for a signing bonus for a kid from Panama at that point. He was pretty much um, managed by his dad, who I saw was the mayor of his town. I don't know if he still is or was at that point, his dad, Max. But after he was signed, he played in the Dominican Summer League, 
for a couple of years and then was up in the minors. In 2019, he was the youngest player in the Carolina, the now defunct Carolina League. And, and his on-base percentage was 351. He threw out 35% of his attempted steals as this youngest player. And for 2020, he was invited to spring training. He's at this point seen as an average 240 hitter with a 260 potential, which is pretty solid for a catcher. And as far as catchers go, he is the number eight catching prospect. Now, notably, your boyfriends are numbers one and two. And that would be um, Adley Rutschman and Joey Bart, both of whom you picked last year. But- no, Adley, not yet. Adley's going to be next year. Oh, that's right. You just got yeah. next year. Yeah. That's much He's still being because- seasoned. <laughs> Read above. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so you've you've got the picks, and I I knew he was your guy for sure. His strength is in framing pitches. Pitchers love him because he's really good at pulling things into the zone, and he's very serious and studious about the whole game. And he follows Contreras around, which I adore yeah. because that's you know my ex. We and- would both do that too. We would totally follow Contreras around. Well, both Contreras, like, talk about, like, a good setup of catchers that, with for the Cubs learning stuff. You've got Contreras and then also Grandpa Ross as manager, and both of whom have their eye on this kid saying he's got it. And so Contreras actually said, like, he's listening. Every time, every time I talk to him, I can tell he's listening. And Grandpa Ross says that – he loves his body language. And actually, in a few different quotes I saw, he talked about his hands, that he has good hands for a catcher. So I'm okay with a catcher with good hands. Uh, he was in the Futures game past couple years and spent 2020 in the alternate site. Didn't come up. And then in the offseason, though, he has been busy. Even though he's from Panama, he was playing in the Puerto Rican League. He was playing in the Liga de Espao Profesional Roberto Clemente for the Champions the Criollos de Caguas, even though he had to skip the finals because of his deal with the Cubs. So I guess that's another theme I have today, like playing some good winter ball, but not there for the very end. But he had a pretty solid uh, average there. He was 261 average, and he was second in on-base percentage plus slugging, 1.161. Fifth and RBIs. And he was hanging out with my uh, former Marlins boyfriend, Isan Diaz, at this point. And I think they both missed the finals. He played, he would play, <laughs> tentative. World Baseball Classic was supposed to happen this year, but it's not because of COVID craziness. He was going to play for Panama. I hope he still gets to. But the ties to Panama are really important. And he was actually in a group of seven Panamanian players who this past April, when all the shit hit the fan and baseball was canceled, went back to Panama to do that kind of door-to-door delivery that we talked about with some of the Dominican players earlier and bringing supplies to people. And there's pictures of them like delivering actual food and water by pickup around Panama. So that's a huge baseball boyfriend point. And the other sweet thing about him is despite, you know, him also following my ex- Cubs boyfriend, former Cubs boyfriend, Wilson Contreras around, his um, guy he looks up to for intelligence, for the ability to call a game is Yadier Molina. So that also another former boyfriend sweet in my heart. So good he knows guy. what's good. He knows what's good. Yeah. Good pick. 
Good pick. I, I like so. it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much to both um, Infield Fly Girl and Urban Hermit for backing that up because I didn't know anything about this guy. Would not have found him without some great uh, matchmaking advice. So I owe a very nice cup of coffee to both Infield Fly Girl and Potty Mouth for fixing me up with Ian Happ because I love him. You are absolutely correct. I love him. Thank you for that. Um, Ian Happ, center fielder, 26 years old, was born in Pittsburgh and was there through high school. He played college ball at the University of Cincinnati, a place I've driven by multiple times. Uh, he was While there, he was the first team academic All-American, also near and dear to my heart, and a semifinalist for the Golden Spikes Award, which we talked a little bit about last week. That's the best all-around collegiate player. He was drafted in 2015 in the first round by the Cubs and his debut was May 13th, 2017 versus the Cardinals in which his very first major league hit was a 414 foot home run off of Carlos Martinez. Oh, off the tsunami. Hello, major league. Here I am. He was the fastest player in Cubs history to get to 20 home runs. He did it in 89 games. My favorite stat though is just crazy. He hit the first home run of the entire 2018 season. I don't mean for the Cubs. I don't mean for him. I mean the first home run for the entire league, and it was on the very first pitch thrown anywhere on opening day. Wow, that is so cool. So, you know, hello, new season, right? It's like we're starting this off with a home run. Um, He has uh, inherited a couple of things from Chris Bryant. One is he has taken over as the um, the union rep, the representative to the Players Association from Chris Bryant. He's also taken the um, leadoff batter position from Chris Bryant. That happened when um, Bryant was injured and went away and for a while. So Hap took it and it looks like he's going to keep that spot as the leadoff hitter. Interestingly, just yesterday, he won arbitration. Nobody beats the Cubs in arbitration. He's the first person, first player to beat the team in arbitration in 31 years. The team offered 3.25 arbitration, granted him $4.1 million. So how about that? When the season was delayed last year, he started a podcast called The Compound, which I have to add to my playlist because it sounds great fun, with my former boyfriend, Nico Horner, and a couple of the minor league guys in the Cubs system. And his his idea behind it was to build community with fans and so the fans could see players as people. And that sounds like something we can totally get behind yeah, for sure. That's right? so cool. And when I get it, when I buy you guys a cup of coffee, you and Infield Fly Girl, it's going to be quarantine coffee because he has a, a partnership with, uh, with quarantine coffee where $3 per pound of coffee sold. The proceeds go to the Greater Chicago Food Depository and Save the Children. And they put together packages, like bundles, with coffee and Ian Hap swag periodically. And I saw it this morning and then I went back to look at it again and they were all sold out. All the different bundles were sold out. It might be like that he signs the bag of coffee or there, a t-shirt gets thrown in with it or um, a, a baseball card or something gets thrown in with it. They were all gone. Just like, you know, two hours later when I went back and looked at it. But I did spring for um, an Ian Happ makes me coffee t-shirt to go with the pound of quarantine (laughs) coffee that I ordered today. So, you know, come to my porch or my fire pit and I will, you know, socially distantly hand you a cup of quarantine coffee through um, Ian Happ's fundraising things. He has done a lot of philanthropy, not just this. He 
um, initially was looking for artwork for his walls of his apartment windows. You know, I, I now have a paying job. I can, you know, I can actually think about how I want my, my home to look. And he found this artist named Pat Vale who does cityscapes. And he really, really liked what he did. And so he invited him to come to Wrigley and walk around Wrigley and had, and Pat Vale did three different drawings of Wrigley Field from different vantage points. And they now sell those through a, a, pro a project called Through My Eyes, which is also advertised through the coffee company. And proceeds from that go to Ian Happ's family charity because they do a lot of work around the, um, around the area of mental health. And so he's got this other, like this, this sort of like family level fundraising he's doing. He's got like the, 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 the community citywide level fundraising he's doing. Also near and dear to my heart, he lost his dad to brain cancer in October, 2015. And the thing that almost brought me to tears and I might wow. do it again, the Cubs, the Cubs talk all the time about, they, they evaluate the person who's in the uniform, but also the person who's in the street, the street clothes. They want to know about the kid when they're scouting him. What's his character like? What's his family situation? They want to know everything about him. And so they knew about his dad's health. So in, remember he was drafted in 2015. So he was bound, he went between, um, you know, short season A and then class A. He had a stop at Wrigley. So the Cubs invited his family to Wrigley Field so his dad could see him bat at Wrigley Field. And I'm going to cry right now. He, yeah. did a, he did a batting practice at Wrigley so his dad could see him. And that was months before his dad passed away. That's amazing. That is so amazing. And I yeah. did not know that for the Cubs, right? That. Yeah. Uh, that is really, really uh, very lovely. Um, and I'm just going to stop crying by saying he has really excellent grooming. Yeah. <laughs> I will have to check that out. I will have to check that out. That's just wild. And I didn't know that about yeah. his dad when I when I recommended him to you. So it's super beautiful, touching. Uh, yeah. I'm going to cry yeah. too. Yeah. Lots of coffee. There'll be lots of coffee once I finish the beer. Um, next week, we're going to talk about the twins and Atlanta. Oh, hey. That's yeah. going to be fun. Yep. I'm psyched. All yep. right. And for the first time, I'm 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 like, oh, I have ideas about these teams. The past couple of weeks, I've been like, oh, what the fuck ideas. am I doing? But now I have a direction. I have a direction. I want to give a super shout out to Bill Thompson and his blog, The Words Above Replacement. And I know we have a Patreon that I haven't plugged in a really long time, but right now I want to plug Bill's because he is doing the work that should be done, which is a complete coverage of baseball with a capital B meaning baseball everywhere. And I am so, I'm so sick of over and over seeing all the posts about baseball being back when it has not gone away. And it's just a lack of creativity and a lack of reading Bill's blog. If you don't know where baseball is happening pretty much all the time. So he got in touch with me after our last show to give me some leads, leads on Cuba because I had talked about the reading tea leaves after Jose Abreu. So now I have some good Cuban connections for how to read those tea leaves, but he did affirm that that crazy year of Abreu's was actually a very crazy year in Cuban ball. The other thing that he helped, he helped out with, well, was first of all, the Australian Baseball League, which just wrapped up. I had tried to cover their finals a little bit and talked about how there were these two women's showcases going on and thought that that was a good thing. Well, apparently the CEO of Australian baseball 
watered them down to the point where they were barely going to be anything. So at that point, they were scheduled to be two, three inning showcases. So not even full games. And they didn't end up happening because of COVID. But there's a little bit of concern now about it was going to be maybe the second women's league in the world after Japan. And now they're still having problems fundraising, scrapping things together. So check out Bill's article on that. And the other thing that he straightened me out on was the Mexican league that I had talked about being a minor league, and that's why it got canceled last year. Well, it turned out that the timing was actually coincidental, and the Mexican league last year got canceled just because they couldn't get their shit together about you know COVID precautions, basically. And it was probably a good thing in the end because they're super dependent on revenue from fans in the stands and they weren't going to be able to safely get the fans in the stands. So they did not do that. But right now the Liga Mexicana de Baseball is planning on getting going, right? It's about the same time as MLB. And one of my favorite old players from the Red Sox, Adrian Gonzalez, who had started with the Padres, went to the Sox, went to the Dodgers in that blockbuster deal and ended up with the Mets. He is now going to be playing in the Mexican league. There's a couple teams that are vying for him, but I am going to keep a, a league, a, a league. I, I'm going to keep an eye <laughs> on the Liga Mexicana so that I can see Gonzalez play again. I would love to. And he's doing it especially because his eye is on the goal of maybe playing for Mexico in the Olympics, which, uh-huh. which would be great. He's not on the preliminary list, which makes me a little bit nervous. You know, the other guy who wants to play for the Mexican national team, I don't think for the Olympics, but for the baseball classic, whatever it happens is um, Arroz Arena, which we now have very unfortunate mixed feelings uh. about. <clears throat> but he oh, made a it. personal, he made a personal appeal to the president of Mexico. He like did an online video thing to the president saying, put me on the national team. So I don't know. Damn it. Damn it. Uh, on happier baseball, always happier baseball. I'm really happy to see the CPBL. That's the league in Taiwan getting going. Now they've had a couple of spring training games already. We've got the four teams that we loved from last year, the guardians, lions, monkeys, and brothers. And now we also have the dragons dragons. We get dragons now. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So the only problem, well, there's a couple problems for the dragons. First, they're the new guys on town. So we know how that goes, especially after we saw what that happened in the Puerto Rican league with the RA 12 of, didn't do so well. So, you know, there are low expectations for the Dragons, so they can only move up. They have no home is the big problem. Their stadium is literally under construction right now. Oh, no. So when you don't have a home, I think that also puts you a little bit of a disadvantage. I think there's room in Buffalo right now. (laughs) Dragons go to (laughs) Buffalo. That would be great. I don't know about the commute and and the time difference, but yeah. All right, so that's what I got for international <laughs> ball right now. But follow Bill on Patreon, follow his page, and you'll you'll figure out where to clue in because I know I've got some work to do for our German listeners. I need to brush up on the Bundesliga. I'm going to work oh boy. on that. That's my my homework. All right, all right. I don't know that I have homework other than boyfriend research this coming week, and um, just keeping an eye on. Uh, and how things are looking for a spring training getting started in a, in a week, yeah? One week from today, we're, t- we're taping, ta- we're taping, listen to me. <laughs> we're we're 1982 and we're taping. <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> I am so old, people. We are recording this on Sunday. So yeah, a week from today, there's spring training games. That'll be fun. Awesome. I'm going to try to recover from my crying jag. Sorry about that, everybody. And watch the mail for my a pound of coffee and my Ian Happ makes me coffee t-shirt to come so in the excited. mail. I know. I'm so excited. So um, I'm hoping that you are going to tell your friends about us. I think they'd like to hear us talk about baseball. Maybe check out some old episodes if you're not yet caught up. And we find us on social media. Talk to us on Twitter at NCIB Podcast, Facebook and Instagram at No Crying in B-Ball. Most excellent. Please get your vaccine when it's your turn. Keep wearing your masks, your distance, and washing your hands. Fight the man. And until next week, say goodnight, potty mouth. Good night, potty mouth. Take two, fucking cat. Because it'll surprise everybody that you're swearing at the cat because that doesn't ever happen.